A jingle. No, I don't have a jingle yet. It's okay. Hello, good morning, everyone. Thanks for listening to the second episode of the Broken English Podcast. My name is Mila Panic, and today it's very sunny in Berlin. Very rare, so definitely worth mentioning. <laughs> so for those jumping to the second episode, uh, this podcast is created firstly from my personal urge to understand the importance of broken English. I do speak broken English and English with accent, and not just from the prism of language as such, but also in regards to history, to class, to politics, to humor, work, and many, many other perspectives, which will be addressed mostly with our guests um, that I'm inviting here on the podcast. So, also to remind you, we do not apologize for our broken English and for our accent. So, I hope you're gonna enjoy my rolling. Um, yes, and I hope that some of you will also find comfort in listening to broken English podcast because this was also one of my reasons to start this. And uh, so for today, uh, my guest is Angeliki Tsorzakaki. Uh, did I pronounce it very well? Close, close. Okay. <laughs> So, yeah, she's first time in my house. We are having coffee and eating Ustipsi. And uh, we know each other. We go back for a couple of years now. I was trying to remember how did we met. And I think it was somehow online, offline, through uh, reaching out to through our mutual friend Enrico. Yeah. Uh, so what I did an interview with, yeah, with you, you guys first. Yeah, you uh, you interviewed B, this collective that I'm running with uh, Enrico Floridia, Jerome de Vienne, and Eva Sadotska for uh, yeah for the fully funded residencies, the cool. websites, the platform. Yeah, and then yeah. you visited Berlin, no? Yeah, and then we had drinks just before COVID, and we just clicked. Oh, so cool, good. cool. So my guest Angeliki, um, she works as a writer, curator, editor, researcher, and occasionally performer between Athens and Amsterdam. So her work appears in diverse formats and temporalities and overall looks at eco-feminist narratives that wish to defy the nature-culture binary. You can get that I'm reading this. So um, she's also researching agency and the ability to speak and act for within ourselves, oneself as an indi individual and collective body. More specifically, she's interested in the mutual or of insular landscapes and especially islands through the archipelagic, archipelag, archipelagic mm -hmm. thinking, mm -hmm. fiction and uh, tectonic movements, ecologies of self-organizations, friendships and different forms of labor. Uh, she's also currently co-curating the performance program carried by Invisible Bodies uh, in Amsterdam. Uh, also, she over there she's collaborate. She collaborates closely with the artist Mercedes uh, Aspiliqueta. Did I say it right? Uh, Perfect. Cool. Yeah. Uh, to co uh, to coordinate, produce, and assist um, um, the research in her long term projects. Uh, she's also became recently a board member of the Salva Foundation, and she's part of B Collective, which I interviewed a couple of years ago for fully funded residencies and. Uh, over there, they are organizing artist residencies since 2018 in remote and rural areas, promoting uh, idleness and slowness as a means of resistance against exhaustion. Um, in 2019, she co-founded the group's course of for gardens, working towards uh, an empathic and eco-conscious collaborative practices in um, through performing arts, through movement, writing, and voice work. 
Uh, Angeliki, please free, feel free to correct me if I said something wrong or I missed something. Um, she also previously, she's been uh, a research fellow in the nomadic project, a natural oasis. And in 2019 till 2021, she worked as a curator for the 19th Biennale Mediterranean School of Waters in San Marino, where mm. I also exhibited my mm -hmm. work. And we worked and together. We worked together yeah. Yeah. Um, also in 2021, she was a guest curator for the Laurel Project Space, where she organized the exhibition, Our Seas Are What We Make of Them. Um, yeah, Angeliki studied in the Breda Academy of Fine Arts in Milan and at the Athens University of Economics and Business. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and she has recently been awarded the Curatorial Fellowship Artworks by, uh, by Nyahros Foundation in Athens. The Congratulations. Foundation, yeah. Um, yeah, her collaborative work has appeared in Radio System Berlin, Onazis Foundation in Athens, Italian Institute of Culture in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. Brera Academy of Fine Arts in Milan, Ecofeminist Festival in Baku, Laurel Project Space in Amsterdam, Movement Radio in Athens, Kunsthaus Kuhle Berlin, mm -hmm. Sexy Land World Amsterdam, mm -hmm. Theater etc, 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 etc. <laughs> Man, you did a lot of work, a lot of work. Um, so uh, thank you so much for coming to Berlin and coming to my house to do this podcast in this very improvised setup. Uh, but yes, uh, as, you, pleasure, yes as you got to know, Angeliki and I did work on uh, many different projects, but not just in art context. Also, as a, we, I interviewed uh, her with uh, her B collective, but we also mm -hmm. worked on exhibitions and she's very familiar with my own practice. And now that she's familiar, she also corrected so many of my ap scholarship applications uh so uh, proofreading writing and we all know how mm -hmm. much importance uh how important it is and uh this invisible work that we all do in writing mm -hmm. and i know when we first time talked about this idea of the, this podcast um this is why i wanted to invite you for this you mentioned exactly through your own work how important was and how hard it is actually to correct yourself constantly and this question of how much we should correct ourselves Mm -hmm. So how was your, um, like, through your own practice? Because mm -hmm. you speak three languages, no? Yes. So my uh, first language was Greek. Uh, I kind of don't like the word, the word native in, mm -hmm. in, in having a mother tongue. But uh, yeah, let's say my native language is Greek. And I had to learn uh, English at a very young age. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, of course, I studied different languages, uh, German, Spanish, a uh, little bit of Portuguese, but actually I don't speak any of those. But now I speak Italian, yeah, Italian, English and Greek. Okay. That's like my three main languages, which I speak on a daily basis, actually. Oh, but you learned Italian while you studied there or? Yeah, I learned Italian uh, by moving to Italy, actually. Mm -hmm. I, I moved to Milan and... I did a master's in art theory, in curatorial practice in Italian, which was also a bit funny because it was, it was a big, big dive, you know, yeah. big jump in the ocean. Uh, but it was fun. It was very fun. It was a bit experimental in a way. I remember also all, all uh, my exams were oral, so I really uh -huh. had to speak all the time. Yeah. Okay. But how did you find like this jump, you know, I mean, uh, coming from Greece and then it's not like the the way I studied, it was, of course, practical studies in arts. So the theory, writing or reading 
it was not as essential, let's say, as a producing an artwork. Right. And I think in your mm-hmm. practice, it's much... It's very the, central. Yeah. I mean, language is very central. And, um, well, I found it very challenging. And also at the time, because as you read, uh, mentioned before, I studied economics before. So also my relationship even to the Greek language was different. You know, I, I was engaging in a more maybe technical level or uh, financial or, or... So moving to another language, but also moving to another uh, type of language was, I think, a double jump in a way, like a double risk. So it was a bit intimidating, uh, I have to say, but also at this point I felt a bit I have nothing to lose. So language became also a place to experiment in a way what I was doing. And I mean, I was also the only one uh, non-Italian speaker in my master's or like mm-hmm. non-fluent Italian speaker in my master's. So I got a lot of support from ah, everyone. That's nice they were like, I was thinking yeah, yeah. but no, like I know for me, when I came, I studied in English mm-hmm. um, in Germany and it was very, the, the idea of what I thought that I know about English, like I was thinking, oh, I understand English, I can yeah. speak. But I then when, it. I, yeah. when, I, when it came to the practice, I mm-hmm. figured out I have no clue. And actually mm-hmm. this practice part was very much important. And of course I was doubting myself mm-hmm. and not just... Um, Uh, you know, pronouncing English or uh, speaking with others, but also considering the knowledge that was connected to, to, to the certain language and what, you know, when you speak one language, you're also ex- um, exposed to certain information. And what I was receiving, let's say, in Bosnia, it was also very limiting. And with this, also my knowledge about something. Of course. And, and the know, discourse also, yes. because you learn the English to face everyday life, maybe, or just very specific interactions. But yeah, but for you, you didn't go and study in English, which is kind of language that almost everyone speaks. You studied yeah. in Italy, yeah. Italian, you know, which yeah. is another, you know, yeah. I would say provincial language. I mean, it's not, but you know, it's not the leading language. I mean, I also, I mean, it was, it was a little bit funny because I uh, had this, uh, how do you say, like C2 uh, proficiency in English, American English when I was in Greece. But then because I moved to Italy and I just abandoned completely, I, I just, I didn't want to speak English to anyone while I was in Italy because I wanted so much to learn Italian. So I actually forgot my English at one point. And then when I moved to the Netherlands, um, four years later, to do this internship, everybody was so fluent and, and I, I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't think in English anymore. Mm-hmm. But... Anyway, but I think there are like different parts of ourselves that think and dream and talk in different languages. Or maybe I'm yeah. speaking for me and I guess for you too. Yeah, of course. Because also in this work that uh, was at the Biennale, the Tante aus Deutschland, you are speaking many languages throughout yes. and it's also subtitled. So there's so many layers and you also yeah. change languages. Yes, the film. and I think at that point when I was creating that mm-hmm. work in, back in 2019, That's when I also started to highlight importance of this mixing the languages. Mm-hmm. And because it, it, there is some kind of stigma about it, like, mm-hmm. oh, I forgot my... I was doing some podcasts in my own mother tongue. Mm-hmm. And then when I hear it, I was like, man, I forgot my own language. I am not exposed so much on, uh, to, to, to the radio or literature in my own language that I don't have like syntax of one sentence, like... 
it's crazy that I cannot start and finish and it's so hard and then I was like okay but there is nothing wrong with it because with certain topics as we spoke about it earlier I never dealt in my mother tongue like I don't know just health insurance I don't have vocabulary in Serbo-Croatian at all about it I know it in German not even in English so this crossing and mixing the languages I I mean I definitely enjoy and I'm not ashamed of anything or the if I miss something but um uh, yeah we were talking about this uh, proofreading and when it comes to our practices like we know at least here in Germany you know um, all applications that you're doing mm-hmm. I don't know how it's in Netherlands but mm-hmm. you need to submit it uh, 90% mm-hmm. of them in German language mm-hmm. which is for me like double triple washing my own in- initial idea that are maybe in my uh, yeah. mother tongue so yeah. then i need to translate it to english and then from english proofread uh corrected um mm-hmm. cutted and then again deep l through german you know and then again deep l deep l thank you deep l so much you're listening we love you so yeah and i know that you were you were correcting a lot of my texts and uh, in a sense to like kind of get the essence of it and of course if we yeah. have limitations with the characters oh my god we yeah. hate this you know yeah. and uh, but through your curatorial practice when you write a text about yeah. something and it depends on which languages do you also kind of um, adjust this like what's your experience yes. I, I've had different experience but I wanted to say yeah about this uh, correcting mm-hmm. or like proofreading I think what I'm doing is mostly editing because, I mean, of course, I cannot fully proofread because I have to get proofread by someone else, in a way. Also, who is native enough, in a way. But also, it is a job. Enough. Proofreader. <laughs> it is a job to proofread. And, and I'm definitely not trained. But it, I think um, getting, getting what you wanted to say, maybe because I'm also familiar with your practice or, or in other cases that has happened to me, it is also a matter of yeah being familiar with it but also being maybe able to re-articulate it or re-elaborate it within the language but within your limited language i don't know if, if it's clear but it's not only about correcting a mistake mm. it's also about maybe uh, the flow of the language or yeah. Yeah. so i think this is yeah more part of the editorial uh, writing or curatorial work um but i have yeah i have encountered it um several times i think it's when i write an essay or like i have been commissioned to write texts for artists or or yeah maybe a bit more creative writing Mm -hmm. way and there most of the time i don't want to be fully proofread because i think that it's also the way i write is very personal and it has a lot of myself in it very often I use words from Greek or from Italian or, you know, things that incorporating uh, languages and experiences that are there already. You mean in the text you use the words from, from Greek or yeah. from Italian? Yeah, so if I write in English, mm-hmm. uh, it has happened a few times that I would use maybe a word from Italian or English or, sorry, Greek, but then make it very explicit in mm-hmm. a way. Um, I like this because I um, mm-hmm. it's... This is what I was noticing when you use more languages in 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 the work or the writing, mm. that you have this power to create misunderstandings, mm-hmm. and I really love this. Like it's, it's all about misunderstandings. Yeah. Yes. This. yeah, and I really yeah. like to create this atmosphere because it's so much present in everyday life. 
that why mm-hmm. we don't have it so much visible in academia or in writings or mm-hmm. you know to, mm-hmm. that someone like even that someone doesn't understand the whole page of one book because mm-hmm. it's in a different language and someone else has this privilege you can also play with it i really like this enjoy this idea or you get bits of it yeah, yeah. i mean for me this became very clear when we did um, a collective reading last two years ago at the beginning of the first lockdown with Enrico Floridia uh, with his project the Biblioteca Pirata mm-hmm. and we did a collective reading of uh, uh, Gloria Saldua um, uh, which book was it Borderlands it's mm-hmm. called and uh, Gloria Saldua writes both in Spanish and English um, and yeah but she writes a lot about her Chicana identity very very different context but then I was like, it makes so much sense. I mean, she writes from another perspective, but still it's, it just gave me so much space, yeah. you know, in my way of writing. And um, on top of that, I think when I write these more like creative ways, that is not a very academic context, so you can be a bit more playful. I think a lot of the sonic aspects of mm-hmm. how the text sounds. Um, because in general, I think because I work a lot with performance and voice, um, I'm trying to incorporate a bit this extra sonic experience of you maybe reading the text out loud. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't read it out loud, maybe you read it in your mind out loud. So the text becomes a bit more of a landscape somehow. Yeah. And there also, I don't think it's necessarily good to be proofread and always corrected. I mean, not just to defend my, yeah. <laughs> to defend my qualities, no. The whole podcast is just against proofreading, don't proofread, <laughs> don't correct. All the proofreaders are <laughs> their jokes. No, no, no. I mean, it's, it's great. But uh, what I'm saying is that it's also nice to keep a bit this kind of um, honesty yeah. of it, you know, sometimes. Yeah, it's like being being in your body and yeah, feeling being comfortable yourself. with it. Yeah, And yeah. yeah, exactly these mistakes. And I know I was just reading your biography for the first time and there's so many words I know the words I know what they mean and I think I know how to say them I and that doesn't go out through my mouth yeah. in the way I want and this this is I think it's very nice because it's not something someone should be ashamed of or anything or even accents I mean um, it's different like speaking uh, a broken English or not grammatically correct writing but Accents are also very big part of it, and uh, and they're beautiful. Yes, also. I mean they've been very ster- stereotyped yeah. somehow. Um, but I, I I I'm also very fascinated by it in a way, or like or how we are using our tongues and mouths and jaws. And for instance, with this course for gardens, I work with Katrin uh, Nielsen, who is a theater. She's trained as an actress. Mm-hmm. And she's a theater maker, so she works a lot with her voice and mouth. And then I realize how much work we are doing, you know, without... Uh, it's a bit more on a more anatomic, maybe, mm-hmm. level. But we are working so much with our jaws and our tongues and mm-hmm. then to produce different sounds. Like Portuguese, for instance, for me, is yeah. a very new sound. I couldn't do it. I think it's mm-hmm. something that has to do also with this, you know, yeah, like singing. Yeah, with the breathing, breathing definitely. Yeah. Um... But I wanted to say something before that. Um, you were mentioning something about Sonic. Yeah, the Sonic part. So just before the pandemic, uh, I started a reading group in Amsterdam with um, another friend and colleague, Christina Donovasili. 
And our uh, idea was that we would just gather in a living room or like a domestic space that was at the time her house or my house, and we would read a text out loud collectively. So, and we would read it for the first time. So it was not discussing theory, but actually approaching uh, mm-hmm. a book or theory together because we were also all of us overworked. So we needed one slot of time where we would all read at the same time. So in a way, both gathering and sharing time. But that the interesting part about it is that so many people were reading, like we were taking turns and because we read like a very long parts of books and you would hear all the different interpretations of the text or understandings of the text through the accents. Because for mm. instance, there was one person who was a um, Sardinian uh, German, uh, but she studied in London. So she has this mixed wow. accent of, you know, lo- the, like the London British accents together with Italian and uh, a little bit of German. Oh, so it's just so yeah, it was it was so many layers. So different every yeah. word, it's world for itself. <laughs> yeah, I mean she she speaks very good English because she lived in London for yeah. a very long time. But each one of us had a different approach, and then the text was becoming something else all the time. But the thing is, I didn't record this, so yeah, maybe yeah. just not, never being heard. It's also not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like yeah. we don't have to archive yeah. everything all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's about the sonic. But of course, um, when I when I write about a newspaper or a magazine, then I I have to be proofread, you know, mm. because then it's it's a different thing. But did you ever have a bad experience? Like, I mean, you're definitely even myself. I experienced in everyday life every shitty job I ever took. I mean, not I'm saying that there are sh- there is no shitty job. Job is a job. Well, but, you know, there some are some more jobs are some better yeah. or better yeah. than others. Yeah. But, you know, um, also when it comes to your accent and or in your, you know, field of work yeah. that you were perceived through certain prison because of your accents or your ability to write. Did you have like some kind of advent- like privilege or disadvantages? Of course, like if you were, let's say, in your... Uh, in the in, in, let's say in Greece and doing uh, probably would seem differently than for example in Germany or I don't know maybe I'm just saying yeah. like, did you ever have such a experience but I'm I assume you also work a lot with an international group of people so yeah. probably it's rarely that someone is like purely native speaker of, mm. of English and so on but you know there is this believe or uh, that you know in academia it's very not just we, we mentioned accents they are beautiful mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. there is a lot of prejudice mm-hmm. towards of course certain, it's you know very depends what kind of accent yeah. you have if yeah. you have a french accent it's not the same also yeah. depends french accent from global south from Colorado, yeah. or like yeah. you know depends where yeah. you're from mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so it's it's very much connected to to the mm-hmm. integrated to our you know uh yeah idea of academia yeah mm, i mean i haven't been officially in a very academic context so mm-hmm. far so i cannot speak about that exactly it is of course uh shaping a bit the air in the room you know sometimes mm-hmm. like you feel it's it's there maybe not maybe no one will comment it necessarily but i th- there's different layers of it. I think sometimes I feel a bit, um, especially in the Netherlands, I think everybody speaks very good English. Yeah. Yeah. Like people, it's not an officially an English speaking country, mm-hmm. like, but still 
everybody speaks good English. Like the level is quite high in a way in my circle and in general, I think. Um, and sometimes that can be a bit intimidating. Like I remember, especially when I first moved from <coughs> Italy, it was just, wow, like I, I cannot, like I thought English was something else, you know, or I thought language was not a problem for me because I was always, you know, as a child, everybody would like, oh, you're learning so fast and I'm learning fast languages, but that's not the same with uh, having a perfect accent or mm -hmm. so it's it's definitely there yeah it's present but then I also mm, I also started maybe the past two years uh, working a bit more or focusing more on the voice as part of the research yeah. as part of the work and that also brought a lot of um, relief somehow to I mean of course because then you start going deeper and deeper in what the voice is, how you're breathing when you're making the voice, what does it mean for a woman to have a voice or in the public space. And and then this gave me a lot of space also to, to be less uh, censored. Because I think this thing with English has a lot, or broken English or languages in general, because maybe it's not English. Mm -hmm. In our case, that's a common language. But it has to do also a bit with self-censorship. That when you speak, like uh, you know stand-up comedy for mm -hmm. instance it's just so much based on what language yeah. are you doing it in english right yes yeah it's so much charged with an idea of uh, what type of humor are you using where does the humor come from mm -hmm. and all these things so i think yeah it gave me more like it stretched out a bit the limits of what is language and voice and how i can deal with mm -hmm. it yeah, sounds a bit abstract but I'm, there is a lot of space there, that's what I'm saying. I know that when it comes to writing, I'm still kind of dreading this idea of me writing something. And I think because I'm, you know, communicating last 10 years in English, mostly on a daily basis, that I even forgot, okay, I could also do writing in, in, my, in my mother tongue. But I think since I did my thesis and it was in English... And it was highly personal. It was like really the thoughts that are very intimate... And as you said, I don't know how much I want to correct myself and or be proofread this thing or and because I'm not. Um, yeah, like my English was mostly learned through TV. Of course, I also did it in English in the school. But, yeah. you know, we were exposed much more through the television and different shows and learned English. So, you know, the scope of vocabulary and it's not so big. And I'm always like, mm, I'm not sure I'm scared a bit to write mm. like texts mm -hmm. uh longer than just like you know a short statement about my works yeah. um in english which is doesn't mean that i'm not capable to think in this manner uh, to write a book or write an essay or something but yeah. i'm really scared of like well i don't know enough yeah. to do it and this is the question like how much i should know because so it's that digging someone, yes. a little bit in yeah, the like, language. Who is going to yeah. read this? Like, yeah. if someone is going to read, oh, what? She's writing, yeah. like, she can't put 10 words together, like, or this yeah. is not deep enough, or something like this. But um, I think that's also a kind of a, you know, a break that, mm. you know, for many things. And I always felt like um, that what I write, even maybe from someone, for someone from outside of my circle, mm. it's like, oh, that's a great idea. We got what you're saying. But for me, it's always like, Hmm, I'm not sure that it's worth yeah. of reading or saying. I think, I mean, when it comes to poetry, mm -hmm. even like 
but yeah, I'm always scared of writing. That's like, and this getting this confidence. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's also how you can verbalize things because maybe, for instance, you are very good and intuitive in making music, and that's you could express yourself mm-hmm. in another language. But yeah, verbalizing things, it's um, yeah. I mean, for me, it's even hard. Maybe it's harder to do it in Greek. To be honest, yeah. as you said, also at this point, like it's not only broken English, but it's also broken Greek and broken Italian. Yeah. So sometimes I'm like, do I even speak? Because yeah, you know, like when you hear this, like, oh, but you're speaking so many languages. But then I, I constantly like I catch myself always answering, yeah, but I, I, I mean, I don't really, really speak any of them. But actually, I do. Yeah. It's just that you don't. Sometimes you get stuck in words or like uh, when I when I talk to my mother uh, but she was t- teaching language mm-hmm. and, and linguistics oh, <laughs> so it's so yeah. more complicated yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but when I talk to her sometimes I can't I, I don't know how to conjugate um, the the verbs or yeah or I make mistakes or I cannot find the word and I feel so embarrassed but I mean she understands yeah. that I, I don't live there for some time mm-hmm. but I think it's so yeah. It's because we are also having these uh, lives and lifestyles that are always somewhere in between. So mm. you're never fully in a place, and mm. you're never fully there. But again, like to to quote my mom one more time is that once we had this conversation a long time ago. I was still living there, and she was saying that it is actually uh, the importance of being able to. But this is more about vocabulary, actually. Mm-hmm. The importance of uh, knowing many words for instance in that case in greek is that because then it kind of um helps your mind to expand a little bit further because for instance maybe you know one term to describe i don't know this a color or, or a feeling but then if you have three different terms available they're not all the same so mm. you get more perspectives or like a little bit more deeper mm. in the language and I find this beautiful, but at the same time, you cannot do it with three languages. Yes. You know? It's kind of hard. I know so, you yeah. mentioned like you speak all of them sort of like not perfect. And you were mentioning your friend before, you know, and I'm also on a daily basis, you know, my I speak with my partner in English. I speak with my flatmate in Serbian. At least once a day I communicate in German. And sometimes I'm just so tired. Mm. Like even with my partner, I'm like, can you please not speak English anymore? Let's just, mm. you speak in your own mother tongue, speak in Farsi, I'm going to speak in Serbian, and let's see how we'll much try. we are. <laughs> and I don't know, let's see how, if we understand, probably going to get some body language, but yeah. it's, sometimes it's the so looks. like, fuck <laughs> this, like, I'm yeah. tired of using the same muscles of my tongue for English. And you know, in the beginning when I came here, I really tried, I tried to like say the and the. You know, right. I was trying to, you know, yeah. pronounce it right. And I think after a couple of years, I just like gave up. Like, mm. fuck this. Like, mm. I'm so much more comfortable pronouncing the words as I think they should be pronounced. Mm. Sometimes. And how you I, make I, I also do this in German. Yeah. I do this in German as well. Mm. It's very funny. Yeah. And, but, <laughs> and then your friend, I mean, Jeremy, he said like, uh, Jerome, yeah? yeah? He said like, Oh, but we should elevate ourselves or like, yeah, we yeah. should dream to like yeah. spread, speak. Well, I understand also that perspective because yeah. as I said, I don't want to be looked down because, you know, me speaking uh, Southeastern European, very strong Slavic accent, yeah. you get etiquettes on yourself. 
yeah, based of course, on this, of you course. know. And uh, even by hearing it without even looking, yes, you know, it's like you already you get kind so of many etiquettes, not just like yeah. about the knowledge, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. history, context, mm-hmm. personality, Character, everything. Yeah, you know, yeah. also the decibel of your voice. Yeah. You know, yeah, having friends from all over the world. You know, then there's ah, they're from there. Ah, they're that's why they're so loud. They're so loud. You know, yeah. this is like you always need to modest your voice. Mm-hmm. You need to mm-hmm. uh, censor yourself. You know, it depends where you are, you know. And, and especially know are, gender. I mean, I think there's also yes. gender extra level layer mm-hmm. on this, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Like the loud woman. Yeah. The loud woman from it's the balcony. It's not accessible yeah. as, a, as a loud yeah. man, you know. It's yeah. kind of, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, why are you so loud? Yeah. Why are you so loud? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, with the translation, mm-hmm. this, you also mentioned like, I mean, for your work, like translating from one to another, like how much you lose in between. Yeah. Do you have this kind of experiences, like, you know, because you work between three languages, no? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think there is, at least I haven't figured out so much, to be very honest with you, because sometimes when I start, okay, we had a first uh, editorial project in Milan with my fellows, let's say the um, colleagues from the masters. And of course, they were all native Italians. Mm -hmm. So we were publishing in Italian and they were like, oh, but for you, it's okay. You can write in Greek. And I was like, because I, I was a bit, you know, I was a bit, in, I was a bit, not, in, not intimidated, but like shy, you know, I mm-hmm. didn't know what to write, how to write, how it will re- be read by someone, by an Italian speaker. And then I was like, I actually don't want to write in Greek, but then I also don't know in what language I want to write, you know. So I was a bit confused about that. But then, mm, translation, yeah. I don't know what, how, how to go with translation. Um... I know when uh, when yeah. I was doing here and uh, I write something in English, of mm. course, and then it, I need to translate it to German. Mm. Man, first of all, German language is so much more eloquent, mm. yeah, vocabulary-wise, than English itself. Like, English is like a baby language. Mm. It's, like, very poor, except if you listen Shakespeare. I mean, mm. I was in mm. a... In a uh, theater recently, and I didn't know that English has that kind of scope at all. <laughs> but um, you know, like you, first of all, I need to cut so much in order to like reach to the set. Of course, like I'm usually when I'm writing, it's for some application. It's rarely that I'm writing for myself, home, for personal reasons. So that's why there is always certain limitation, or with the how many words, how many characters. Um, what exactly needs to be said so you adapt your thoughts towards this concept and this uh, kind of form and there is always like I need to make myself live with this like short version of my idea that it's translated through three times and uh, of course like I ask you can you see the concept do you think then you tell me what you perceived my idea and then I'm like oh that is it is what I wanted to say so good you understood and then I do it in English and in German and then it's completely misunderstood it's something else yes and do you translate it yourself or do you ask someone else like English Uh, no uh, German no I do do I ask someone else someone else yeah the thing is first maybe I do a draft in German and I know for example when I was applying with the topic of return first time and um it was not even so long ago it was like maybe a year and a half or something and then i reread my application last year or like a couple of months ago and when i reread it i was like 
of course I was not accepted. Yeah. Because it was completely butchered and the way it was sounded in German felt like I was encouraging immigrants go home, you know? Like, and it was not what I wanted to say, you know? It was not the topic yeah. I wanted to highlight or the feelings, but it was so kind of minimized in German that, you know, at that time, of course, I was thinking, uh-huh, yeah, I said everything. But of course, within one year, my vocabulary maybe expanded, my way mm-hmm. how to say something kind of changed. And I was like, yeah, this is completely different what I wanted to say. Yeah. yeah. But also this art, uh, English or art German, I don't know, actually, I don't have an experience. But for instance, in English, it's so specific sometimes the way we write mm-hmm. a lot. The, re- the way we write statements, you know, there's this website where you mm-hmm. can generate stuff, generate your, yeah. art, your artist statement. Um, so this is also a bit, you know, like if, if yeah, I don't want to oversimplify now, but if, if this application didn't fit exactly this type of language and expression methods, mm-hmm. maybe it was a bit like, oh, okay, that's, what is it, you know? Yeah. yeah, so I think it also, maybe that's actually the editorial work to kind of put some structure in this um, yeah. uh, funding applications because it's a lot about that. I mean, and also every grant and funding uh, funding body has a very specific way of specific language. Also in the yeah. Netherlands, like the city, the city funding is very different than the national one and you write in a different way. Like this is a bit maybe a detail, but the, the, the narrative and the way you use your language is different. But that's more in terms of content. Actually. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I relate to that. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about the, about the accents uh, that you said before. Uh, I remember two years ago I did this, uh, so Mercedes Espilicueta, this artist that I worked for in Amsterdam, she invited me to do a residency together with her in Athens with the Onassis Foundation. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was also actually organized by Teatro Mundi, this institution in London who works with urban uh, landscapes and sound. So it's a lot about how the how languages are spoken in the city or like how the voices are heard in the city. So very interesting topic, I think, for me. And um, then we we had to collectively write the script. We also invited one more artist and uh, performance artist from Athens, Maria Sideri, is her name. And anyway, and there we were also mixing languages and experiences that we brought a bit from our understanding of the female voice in the city. But anyway, I wanted to say that when we were actually reading the script, um, it was in English mostly, and I felt a bit oh you know like. Mm, I don't know how to read it. I don't know how to deal with it. Anyway, and yeah, and then um, Mercedes gave me this very precious tip that I'm still kind of carrying. I still haven't figured out how to do it, but a bit like approaching language as as a, as a sculpture in a way, as if you would just go with your hand. You know, you can start caressing the couch or the table, and then you just follow every single curve mm-hmm. that it has. Like as if it was a rock and I would just go through it with my hand and touch every possible, like at one point it's a bit more pointy or it has a curve. You mean like the text you When you read, read when mm-hmm. you read like, um, when you read a sentence and then suddenly you go through all the letters, the R, the S, and then you feel like it's a surface that mm-hmm. you go through it. 
Yeah, but then it's it's a very different way of like it's more reading, spelling. Yeah, it's yeah. more theatrical. Yeah. yeah, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's more of a performative note. It's not so much connected mm. to to the accent. But then it's yeah, I started. I stopped thinking so much about how I'll pronounce it mm-hmm. in terms of oh, how good the English pronunciation would be. Yeah. But more of like how I'm gonna sculpt it more. <laughs> no, that's great. It's great. Yeah. I know, like when something, some. I mean, you know, um, German is much more different in concept and the mm. way you can do a mistake. It's almost not mm. allowed. But in English, I know, uh, being in a group of friends that everyone comes from different parts of the world, and then we speak something, and I say some word that I'm hundred percent sure that I said it right. Yeah. And they were like, what? What Story did you mean? Like, what did you mean? I was like, did, you know, like, I meant bottle. What, what, bottle? Bottle, you know, you drink what? A bottle. Yeah. Like, Fuck you. Like, <laughs> Come on, like, you don't yeah. understand. Like, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there is like so many, um, I mean, it comes to the accents and the, I also had problem, of course, when you expose constantly with just one language most of your life and then you come to the context and environment there's so many different accents yeah your ear needs to adapt you know like of course having friends with very strong accent i'm not saying was easy to hear and sometimes i need to ask them to repeat several times Mm. and i'm not having this as a some kind of rude way or something because my ear it's not um was like really you know just speaking or listening american english constantly on tv it's very rare to hear accents that are very uh, strong. On the street, yeah. I was yeah. not hearing even my own accent because I never spoke in English. Yeah. I did not yeah. know how you don't strong hear your voice. Yes. yes. And then like to know and understand different ways to pronounce one word, it was amazing, you know? But like mm. you need practice, I feel. I felt I needed practice and now I don't have a problem because as soon mm. as you hear, ah, okay, I feel like I changed the filter in my ears yeah, or something. Yeah. And of course, then I understand. And it's not hard, but like not being uh, exposed or introduced to different ways of using this language, which is, of course, international language. And mm-hmm. it should have so many faces uh, that, of course, it, you felt I felt in one moment really, um, you know, that I'm rude towards someone or that it's someone rude toward me. And like I'm doing this in English, uh, in German Why as rude? well. Well, not that you know I, I don't understand you tell okay. me the can same you repeat someone like, yeah. oh, didn't understand me saying yeah. the word bottle yeah. or whatever but like it yeah. was the same game or same like you know mm-hmm. you need to have also the understanding of with whom you're speaking and the way you know some people are also not so loud some people are like more quiet the voice of course as you said mm-hmm. we don't use always the muscle I cannot pronounce some letters in different languages or like sounds as you said and I it's very hard to like even distinguish what's one word, what's one sentence. Yeah. And um, that's nothing wrong with it. Of course, it's fine. But like in English, which actually should mm. encompass all these things and allow so many different I mean, art English. Yeah. We have so many like rules and problems and like prejudice towards mm. something, you know, like how good you speak is connected to your class as well, you know. Or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, within a language, also, yes. of course. But I wanted to ask you actually something, or just to, mm-hmm. to, put, to put it on the table, maybe for uh, next uh, podcast, yeah. or because I think it's also a very big topic. But when when you work um, when you work in the arts, especially I think for people who work with film 
or audio essays or this kind of work that has a lot of sound and mm. the text is, if it's in English, of course. It, I have encountered, as a curator, but also for myself, I have encountered a lot the dilemma of should I use my voiceover or should I use the voiceover of, yes. of a person who is, you know, not native speaker or... Because usually it's someone who is like, you know, you you ask someone to record yes. the voice. Yes. And of course, I mean, aesthetically, it's just um, because we are trained and we expect somehow that the person will be native. Mm. But and, and it's, of course, maybe e- easier in a way, not easier, but it's just yeah, f- more familiar to us mm-hmm. to understand because we don't think of the layers of the accents. You know, usually it's like That's British true. person speaking. And but then what if what if the person wouldn't be native? And I'm not saying that there's good or bad, but just thinking that maybe your mind already subconsciously, as you said, you already start imagining the voice, mm-hmm. how the voice is. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not the same if you do it and if someone from London it's not does neutral. It. Exactly. This, this neutrality. Neutral. It this has neutrality. something to it. Yeah. And this is also the question. Should we stream to this neutral thing or not? Mm-hmm. I think also mm-hmm. based on the work, I'm, I'm also having these ideas like when I would use voiceover of my work, if I'm present in the artwork, when I use my voice, of course, means so many things. And... But there is also this thing, like very simple, but I think you're sometimes not comfortable even to listen to your own voice. You're yeah. more comfortable someone else over your own work, talking your thoughts, because you don't like the sound of your voice. Many people mm-hmm. have this, of course. But uh, yeah, as you said, it's definitely not neutral. It's not uh, you imagining. It's same like reading book. You imagine the person. You imagine uh, if if someone with your accent reads my work it adds the layer you know mm, mm-hmm. but does it need to add like maybe i just you know i mean in this context i think the way it depends I'm on the work now, also yes. yeah it like, depends I mean, on the work the way I'm yeah. now research definitely would actually benefit from this but yeah you know as you said now we are just using always like this almost um computer generated exactly. voices exactly yeah that are so like you know alexa or whatever you know yeah. just to have some kind of standard uh but the standard mm. is also created based on something. But it's very interesting. Yeah. It's a very important topic. And I think someone who has a bit more experience um, with these voiceovers, essays, mm. audio uh, recordings in this sense would be interesting to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. it's very interesting. Yeah. Like, for instance, this text I wrote last year um, in collaboration with an, with an Estonian artist, Christina Oleg. Then at one point uh, it became also an audio essay because we wanted to use it as a as a sound installation, audio installation. And then I actually asked an artist um, who works already a lot with voice, but she's from London, and I asked her to do the recording of my text. But actually, I wrote. I mean, not that it had to be my voice, not at all. I don't think that's the point. But then I was thinking, I was questioning a bit myself, you know, like why did I needed this. Not that it's legitimizing the text in a way, but you know, it's giving it a little bit of a sort of a universalized. Mm-hmm. I know it's problematic to say, and I mean, I'm also yeah. like questioning myself about this. Yes. You know what it means. It was very nice, of course, and she has an amazing voice, and it was it was mm-hmm. great. It's not about that, but how would it be if you know uh, somebody else had done it? In a yeah, way? it will be definitely perceived. Bit differently, yeah. yeah. But great, mm. 
Well, we talked yeah, we so talk long. for hours. Yeah, it's <laughs> crazy. And this is just one one part of all these things. And uh, you know, next episodes are gonna uh, we we're gonna touch, I think, uh, up on humor. And this is also something I got interested recently through stand up comedy and how much actually I can benefit, but not knowing English. Mm-hmm. And of course, in humor, everything adds. Everything adds to this, and I think that's the that's gonna be it in the next episode. Uh, I'm curious about yeah. this. Yeah, and so uh, thank you so much for coming. Thank I hope you, you enjoyed. So for the, uh, how was it again? Um, Ustipti. Ustipti. Yeah, <laughs> Ustipti. Exactly. So the, yeah, the thing I'm still like beginner in this podcast thing, and I hope it's gonna be fun, and that uh, listeners are gonna enjoy and follow the next episode and. Uh, Yeah, if you have any comments or anything, you can always write to me uh, on the on the um, on Instagram or somewhere uh, or the the email, and we can discuss this uh, further. But yes, we are not just limiting ourselves to the topic of language as such. But we sometimes gonna have a podcast that we just speak about some certain news or situation in different countries and give the platform for this. Mm. Um, so I'm also looking forward for that kind of uh, approach and yeah thank you Angeliki so much for coming and uh, yeah so now we go continue eating yeah More and uh, yeah hope you enjoy this podcast thank you so much for listening thank you bye bye bye